here's another installment of Grimerica goes to the Paradigm Symposium 2014 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Enjoy and thanks for listening. All right, we're back at the Paradigm Symposium in Grimerica here. And one of the great things about uh, about being here too, besides all the lectures and all it is you get to meet people in the vendor room that have written books and selling books and I remember uh, buying a couple CDs off of David Armstrong at the 2012 UFO Congress, I believe. And uh, Red Pill Junkie's here to join me too. And uh, David's uh, written a book here, uh, Messages from the Spirit World. And I heard Red Pill Junkie and David talking earlier today, so I wanted to to have David on and uh, Red Pill on to have a bit of a chat. Mm -hmm. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Red, you you saw a video about uh, David on... And uh, where was it again? Yeah, on on the Open Minds uh, YouTube channel. I think it was released mm, maybe a month ago, maybe even earlier. I can't remember. Maybe I should look it up here on my tablet. Yeah, it was released about a month ago. Um, so you probably saw it when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And uh, was that about your book, David? Or No, it had to do with an experience I had um, when I was in my 20s. Uh, in about uh, the early 80s and i want to think it's about 1983 i didn't look at the date but um uh, my daughter was born a couple of years later and she, i know she was born in 85 so i'm thinking it was 1983 right so and my aunt used to work at what they call the uh, ufo records library and they just kept the record of uh, uh, everything at mcclellan air force base that ever happened sightings you know any files that might have pertained to you know, paranormal things around the UFOs. Oh, okay. And uh, this is in McClelland Air Force, or Air Force Base? Yeah, she had a civil service job there, and she worked, um, I think it was like a GS, that means government service rating, um, but she was a civil uh, servant, actually, so you can only go so high as that. But She attained uh, the highest rating, she said, and took the civil service test, and uh, when... Uh, they get into a position like that, they don't ever want to change that person because they don't want a whole lot of people knowing what it is that you do. Oh, I see. Mm. So you're pretty much a lifer once you take right, a position. Right, right. <laughs> you're committed for life. Yeah. That's, that's the way the government grows. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Hope you had enough space there. Okay, so tell us more, more about that, then, that experience. Well, I was um, coming back one time from a trip We'd been down to the San Diego area. I think we went to, you know, some of the tourist highlights, that, uh, my wife and I. And we'd come back to Sacramento to visit her, and she asked me if I'd be uh, interested in seeing where she worked on the Air Force Base. And I said, sure. And my wife at the time was uh, not interested in, in military or anything like yeah. that. So mm. her and I just went over there alone. Um, she said she'd already arranged it so ahead of time. Uh, because they have to get badges and you have to get clearance and who you are and what you are. They do a background check, actually. Mm. Right. And uh, so you went to the Air Force Base with your aunt? Yep, and we got on base. Um, first place we went to is where, you know, her office was. And I remember it was kind of a one-story uh, building. Um, her office was, you go straight through these, glass doors and you know you couldn't get into the building unless she had clearance or worked there or did something <clears throat> and then when you got to the uh, front desk there was a secretary seated behind there and you had to get 
uh, our badges to put on so we could go around and uh, she was going to take me to the barracks and all the different places uh this is more of a test lighter oh you know air force and so they don't do a lot of test uh aircraft and that kind of thing but what she told me is that she uh was like a genealogist but of uh you know ufos and that kind of stuff huh. so i knew what she did but she said she it was pretty tight-lipped she couldn't tell me anything about it hmm. but she did want to take me in and show me her office where she worked right right well the um the we walked through the glass doors and went straight ahead to the secretary's desk and uh secretary patched um or called this general or colonel i, I forget what his title was hmm. but this tall man comes out he's about six foot four taller than i am and i'm six two but um he towers above me and comes out shakes my hand and she said well this is my nephew he's from north dakota and you know um so on and so forth i don't remember exactly the dialogue but um he had a little bit of conversation with us and so you know he went back in his room after that was over and we went in now first to the right there was a, a punch button like three buttons and three buttons and three buttons and you had to choose the right set of four buttons i think to get in because i saw her punch you know some stuff but of course uh, i'm not paying attention to buttons or anything right. I just, mm-hmm. and then she opens the door and then we had to walk down a hallway and it was on uh tile kind of like uh, you know maybe like old-fashioned linoleum mm-hmm. and then we walked down the hall and there was a bench in that room but kind of a narrow long room and then there was another door with three buttons three buttons and three buttons again just like the first one so she pushes those and we get inside so it's kind of like entering fort knox just to get in the door yeah yeah all these security checkpoints yeah. kind of. but once in there she, there was a desk in the middle and there were there was files pretty much all the way around except where the door was of course and uh they surrounded her with uh, just what looked like four door vials just like you'd see in anybody's office uh-huh. and she said this is where i work and you know, every day you know i got a and she had a typewriter in there so it was a windowless office yeah there's no window there was a tiny window on the door about you know just a long narrow thing with uh looked like bulletproof wires or something. okay and when uh she said you know when i'm not here i can go to the barracks and then we'll go over there and look at that and uh, she was going to show me all the amenities so we leave the office and we got to the secretary's desk and here the general or colonel or whoever he was pops out and says joanne uh that was her name mm. um i've got a you know something that just came up and you know it's kind of an emergency and we need to talk to you for maybe an hour of your time and i know your nephew is here and it's your day off and everything but it's kind of important so uh she says okay uh however it's really hot outside and you know it was about 100 degrees i think in sacramento that time of year where we were and you know he can't sit out in the car is it okay if he just stays in my office and he said well i guess that'd be all right so she took me in uh, we press the same buttons again we go in the next door the same buttons and uh and then she says well i'm gonna find a book for you to read so she reached down in the right hand drawer second drawer down i remember pulls out a novel for me to look at and i don't remember what it was and 
and says, here, uh, read a book. And then as she was leaving, she turned around, looked at me and says, but don't touch anything. And then she winked (laughs) at me. So I kind of looked at it, the wink meaning like, well, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to (laughs) snoop, you know, or whatever. And then I realized she's walking down the hall and I can hear every footstep. And I'm thinking, you know, when that other door opens, it clanks. It makes a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. that'll give me a little time and i know they're going to be gone for an hour yeah. or so yeah so i went right to work opening doors and just looking at stuff and the fi- files yeah yeah wow. mm-hmm. so you were actually in the room with that the desk in the middle of all the files around it correct all right were you were you interested in all this stuff before that or no i didn't i hadn't heard much about it all i knew like i said is that she said she worked on ufo yeah, records yeah, which yeah. i didn't know what that detail right, detailed, right. You know. oh so she openly claimed you know i I work on UFO files. On the yeah, she military. told our family that that's what she did. To all the family? Nope, no, just to my, just uh, myself and my mother. Okay. And, you know, we were home at North Dakota one time, and she'd flown up there, and my mom was laughing, saying, well, that's a funny job. I can't believe the military would uh, waste their time. <laughs> and really? she thought it was funny. <laughs> and, I, and I was, uh, you know, couldn't have cared less, you know, yeah, things in yeah, the sky and yeah. it's a military base, uh, whatever. Yeah. Because how, how, that was, that was 83, right? So well, you must you know, have been pretty young then. I was pretty, I was pretty young, uh, when she came out and I first learned right. that she worked there. And so that would have been probably, it could have been the seventies, but it was in the eighties that I actually got to be, uh, I was the only one that got to be in her office right. and see it. So yeah. when did she start with that particular job in the military? At, in you what know, date? I was, was going to ask her son, there's a son still living and I was, uh, he told me that thought she worked there 18 years or something. Okay. So if we backtrack from 83, 18 years, we could probably get about to when she started, I mean, roughly. But <clears throat> I know she worked uh, in the military, but at another division in San Francisco Bay Area to start with. Hmm. So when she transferred, I don't know exactly the day, but she did transfer down to McClellan Air Force Base, and then that's where she retired from. Right. Okay. So, t- so you went snooping through these files and what did you, did you, anything re- highlights or did you remember anything? Yeah. Uh, first, you know, it was, uh, there was files labeled different things like sightings and crash retrievals and so on. And so wow. Uh, sightings didn't, uh, seem like there was, you know, I remember opening and looking in there and seeing vanilla files and everything looked really orderly categorized. Right. That kind of thing. But after all, if that's what she did, now you think about this, if, uh, if a, if a woman worked, um, for that many years, full time, right. just organizing files. Yeah. I mean, she probably got this pretty well organized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but, uh, and, and we I, should also point out that this was after Project Book Book officially closed, right? Because it closed after the release of the Condon Commission by the University of Colorado. I think it was in 1969. Yeah. And after that, the U.S. government decided that UFOs were not a matter of national security that was it wasn't uh, important to investigate it at officially at least uh, they decided to close their office of uh, research so that's what we were told but apparently this wasn't the case at all well you know from what i saw in there they had a lot of a lot of uh, information Mm. that dealt on you know anything but it wasn't just uh American sightings. Um, oh. I saw files that they were labeled other countries, South America, Russia. Um, I remember uh, seeing the title Russia, and I thought, I thought we were at war with Russia. Yeah. <laughs> what would we be doing yeah. with their information? Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, and 
the South American stuff that kind of made sense to me because I always heard they were, you know. Yeah, in, Bra in Brazil in the yeah. 1970s, it was a, there was a lot of activity, and the government officially, the military, back then there was a military regime, regime in the country, and they uh, when they started to have all these cases in a region called Colares, where people even apparently were being hurt by these lights, you know, these objects, they, that's when they decided to launch this investigation, right? Wow. Huh. Yeah. So, so, so this kind of surprised you that there was all these international files, and that's funny because it makes me think of like, a conversation with Nick Redford earlier a couple hours ago here, mm. and uh, talking about you know this overarching kind of pseudo military, not so much government organization that's obviously uh, keeping some of this. So I wonder, like, if that was part of that sort of secret thing right like the secret cabal kind of keeping this stuff but in a military base because obviously that's a pretty safe place to keep stuff but you know well for a number of reasons but uh i did you know when we left she said that um i said i can't believe that you spent your whole career there was that much to do hmm. that you would be filing that much paperwork and she says oh there's stuff coming in every week wow and you know there's memos on it and i gotta type those up and um uh, you know, it wasn't the day of, uh, you know, the typewriters where you could back it up and make a correction. So you had to be a good typist, you know. Yeah. And, oh, so, uh, so we're talking about uh, thousands of files then? In, in, in well, office? thousands of paper files. Oh. Uh, however, I don't know, I guess there were 36 uh, to 40 files. I didn't really and count them or remember. Did the files use any kind of uh, technical military terminology for for? for the reports or something like that, something that you didn't understand or it wasn't like in plain English? Well, I didn't read, I didn't open all the files, but uh, I, I think when I got to uh, the crash retrieval file, that's okay. where I spent the most time. Mm. I think the first one was the Pennsylvania crash. Mm. Um, and uh, since I, I don't, either I didn't spend a lot of time looking at it, but I knew that there'd been a ship and that they had, mm -hmm. uh, were able to reverse engineer the way it sounded because I saw different papers in there talking about it was whole enough to be able to figure out how it operated, but they didn't know, you know, they didn't know how to run it. Um, so there, there was all these memos about how long it would take and, you know, where they would be sending it and different parts to different laboratories. I guess they were, uh, now I hear that they used to compartmentalize uh, all their activities so that nobody knew how, all the pieces would work, but somebody would figure out each component. Right, right. The need-to-know basis. Yeah. And so I think it was uh, reverse engineering that, you know, the military must have been interested in doing. Um, the, the next file that I looked in uh, said Roswell slash Corona. Mm -hmm. um, and there, um, there was a lot of memos, and it was a really fat file, a lot of stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, along with in the bottom, there were, three packages of what looked to be like Kodak or, you know, some sort of old Kodakom files, pretty yellow looking by the time I saw them. But nevertheless, um, they were wrapped up with rubber bands. And, and I, I knew that my aunt was fastidious. So I, I figured the first thing I should do, if I'm going to snoop, I better look and see how they're wrapped. Uh, they were double wrapped. Mm. And I wanted to make sure that I, if I, opened them up that i would put them back the same so i looked at it then i opened them and 
I was stunned. I saw, you know, some alien life forms. Really? Um, and uh, that, now this was the Roswell Chronophile? Or? Yeah. Wow. And there were, uh, there's a tarp, and they had the head sticking out on this one photo, laying down four of them. And then there was another photo of a man, of a, like a four and a half foot gray alien looking, just like they talk about now. Yeah, but could you describe it for us, please? You know. Yeah, it had these uh, sort of black, kind of wraparound eyes that came to a point right at the top here. Mm. And um, just a really small chin and not much of a mouth. And hardly any ears, you know. Um, is this the, is this the, the foreheads that were underneath it coming out of the yeah, tarp? Yeah, okay. plus the one okay. that was standing. And plus the one that's standing, yeah. And uh, the general, you know, had a... Uh, looked like a fairly tall guy maybe six foot six two or something next to a maybe three and a half four foot tall uh gray alien uh were the aliens uh, naked or were they dressed in some kind of well, attire they, yeah they had uh, uh like a zip-up suit but i'd read uh, one uh autopsy file in there that talked about that particular subject right and it, it seemed to have no you know like a slip-on over the top kind of thing uh, but not like a fabric, but like almost like a skin that breathes. Mm. Mm. When they when they took that off, they were really light white colored underneath and uh, sort of grotesque white. You know. So that seems to be like what the some of the rumors are about Robswell about uh, not rumors, but what people say. Yeah, with the dead bodies and the one the one live one or the whatever one that that one did yeah. manage to survive and live for a number of years, right? Uh, let me ask you this. Did these aliens have any kind of uh, genitalia? Um, Sex organs? According to the autopsy report, uh, it appeared they didn't, and they couldn't tell a male from a female. Mm. Mm. And uh, so they were saying in there that they, they believed they were androgynous uh, and that they didn't know how they would reproduce unless they were cloned in a test tube or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that also uh, goes along with some of the suppositions that these so-called gray aliens maybe some kind of maybe they are like uh, bee drones you know like genderless uh, workers like like uh not so much biological but more machine type or yeah well maybe some kind of biological robot you know yeah, that yeah, is yeah. engineered yeah. to perform a very specific function right obviously those those functions wouldn't involve you know having sexual carnal you know mm -hmm. encounters was there any good pictures of craft in there at all that you remember yeah, yeah they had a picture of um and like i said there were three different files <clears throat> or three different packages and all three packages seemed to be a completely different subset of pictures like there were three different crashes in that one roswell uh corona thing correct wow oh so three different craft in, in that specific event yeah, that's what I took it to mean. And mm. although, you know, the file itself said Roswell slash Corona, mm. oh, well, it looked wonder, like there might have been two at one site. Uh, two at the Roswell and one at the Corona. One at I the think Corona. Mm. Wow. So, uh, man, I, I don't know that Roswell is such a complex topic. but Yeah, very controversial. Right it's, it's, uh, so what about the rest of the stuff that you saw? There? Anything else that, that rings a bell that, Maybe. That, you, that stuck with you? Yeah. Well, um you know, the fact that there was this, uh, you know, looks like a low boy trailer from the forties, you know, 
and it had on it on the front it had this great big box with uh, uh like wire cables across the top and uh, the tarp looked to be like a white tarp or a gray or something um and these were you know kind of yellowed out photos color chlorophyll or something and uh, the or polaroids that whatever they had, used to use back then um and on the back of it uh, it looked like uh they had tipped a saucer on its side because it obviously was uh i'd say at least 20 20 25 feet in circumference because it was high it was yeah, high like it that, was high. that high yeah but, yeah so yeah maybe 20 feet is about you know as high as it went and so it kind of looked comical and, and that always stuck in my mind because it looked like somebody said, hey, you know, bring a trailer. And so <laughs> they had no idea what size trailer. So they're like, oh, there's no way we're going to put it flat, so we have to yeah. tilt it? And tilt it on side. sideways. And it had a big hole on the side, too. And you could, you know, kind of see the hole, uh, although most of it was there. This one. Okay, what's your thought then about how, how these things crash? I mean, that's one thing that, that people banter back and forth about is, uh, oh, they, they, you know, they shouldn't be able to crash because there's yeah. superior technology. And then some people say it's uh, radar type stuff that uh, they didn't foresee was affecting their, their yeah. craft. And then is there anything about that in there? Yeah, there was a, there was a whole document that I read about uh, how they believed that it must have been electromagnetically uh, pulsion of some sort. And that uh, there was a lightning storm that night. And when that lightning storm uh, got attracted to the craft, it probably blew a hole in it and knocked them down as, as well as the other ones. So uh, this document had declared that uh, you know, it was brought down by lightning. Now, since that time, I've heard you know, stories, people saying, no, we shot those down, we had the technology. But it doesn't make any sense because if you think about it, for one second, uh, why would the military not discover this for two or three days? These bodies in this report, they said were they stunk. They'd been rotten laying in the mm, desert. Okay. And the military, if they shot it down, yeah, they'd know they exactly, know. Oh, yeah, exactly where. They would have been The there. trajectory where it crashed, yeah. Yeah, so it just doesn't add up that, uh, that they came down by any uh, man-made means. It had to have been some natural occurrence that made hmm. them crash. And that's what it said in that file too that they were brought down by lightning. They just happen to be uh, close to the atomic, you know, the well, atomic. Yeah, thing, maybe. Uh, but bomb. then you think about you know if we're talking about uh, a spacecraft that allegedly traverses you know thousands of light years away, and you know so that is from a civilization that is considerably superior to ours, and it's not able to withstand on uh, a lightning unless the lightning strike directly you know on the craft in which case it was like you know the the biggest look in all of history yeah i mean it could be a, a it could be a, a statistical thing right did they fly around here so much and every, every every once in a while it could still be a very rare occurrence right mm. who knows how much they've been flying around the, the planet yeah and i don't know much of this to believe but I, there was a, a an article and when i did this uh hypnosis session mm-hmm. Um, with somebody in LA, we found out that I got more information from that hypnosis that I'd read a document, but in that document, it talked about, um, a little bit, um, about the fact that the one that was living, Mm. um, that there was some sort of 
communication or that somebody telepathically said they were able to translate mm. uh, who he was, what he was, where he came from, and the story of why it was. And anyway, I distinctly remember that them saying that these were pod crafts from the mothership. And oh. so these are like little reconnaissance things. Like probes. Out. Yeah, the four or five of them come down. So, you know, it kind of made sense to me that, well, they wouldn't be that technologically advanced if they're only able to go, you know, yeah. 300 miles or something. Yeah, yeah and if we come back to the idea that this may be some kind of robots you know some people argue well if uh, why will the aliens uh, why didn't take the effort to to recover the bodies of their comrades right you know why did they le uh, leave them scattered around in the desert but then again if you see we we came come to think about all the drones that the u.s military has lost in the in the middle east you know on during missions that maybe they're shut down or maybe they're malfunction they don't take the effort to try to recover them because to them it's just a machine and they can't. They have thousands of them in the hangar, you know, to, enough to replace them. So maybe something to that effect. Yeah, well, maybe. and, you know, the only reason I didn't know if it was purely, uh, you know, mechanical, it, it could have been like a sort of a combination. Like exactly, you know, yeah, and like a mix. Because it had a, in the autopsy report, saying that it had a like a tube that came down, but it was a real simple digestion system. Mm. And in that tube, they found uh, some material like it, it had eaten something. Mm -hmm. And but also, it, um, the report said that in the uh, seat of one of the chairs that were in there was this uh, five-seater, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. And in one of the panel doors that came down on one side, I think it was the left side, if I remember right. They said they found these little wafers that were thin but looked like about the size of a quarter. Mm -hmm. that matched the same uh, diameter well it matched the same substance that was in the oh. digestion pack uh, ah. have, you to uh, have you heard the story of a man named Joe Simonton no okay so this is a guy I think in the 1960s who was a farmer I think in Wisconsin I need to look it up so a UFO comes lands near his farm to uh, UFO notes, they, they were not grazed. They were looked more like humans, you know, five foot tall. You know, he, he said that they looked like Italians, you know, so I guess he, they had dark skin. One of them had a picture, like, a, uh, uh, like made of some flashy metallic material, and he asked him, you know, through signs that they wanted some water, you know. So, so the guy goes to his kitchen, fills the pitcher with water, returns to it, uh, returns uh, with, uh, with it to to the to the guy he hands it over and then he sees that one of them inside the craft was kind of like cooking something right and then he gestured that he wanted some of the things that they were cooking and the guy handed him uh, three that looked like pancakes like they were like two and a half inches in in length yeah yeah so the guys leave you know in the ufo one of them i, I think it, yeah no i'm sorry they were no three three he had so one of them he ate and he said that it tasted like cardboard the other one he kept and the <laughs> other one he he handed over to project blue book you know and they well discovered that it was you know made of uh, wheat and starch and something they didn't find any traces of salt you know but nothing like unconventional the moment i the moment i uh, i listened to the video it reminded me of that uh, story of joe simon 
you know, the kind of like this. Maybe these poor guys, you know, they go thousands of light years and all they have to eat is these goddamn space crackers, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny the other day, uh, my wife had come home with this box of crackers and they were thin and it kind of reminded me of what they were talking about. And I said, well, what's this? And she goes, well, this is a superfood. And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, just eat one. So I did. And, you know, it's, uh, it tastes okay. And it's made out of all these different blends of grain and everything. Mm. And I said, well, yeah, give me some more of those. And she goes, well, you're only supposed to eat like three of these. Oh. <laughs> and I said, well, you can't uh, survive on that. And she said, you know what? It says you can. They're super concentrated and they're sort of designed for uh you know if you're out traveling or yeah. you know, camping hiking or something, yeah. or something. like the lembas bread yeah in the lords of the rings <laughs> so maybe we're just coming to that point our maybe yeah. maybe we are yeah or maybe that's part we, of the back engineering yeah right? i was just gonna <laughs> like say Velcro? Re- reverse engineering pancakes to superfood crackers <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh so d- okay so i mean it sounds like there's lots to talk about from what you saw but i mean is this is this uh this room and this filing system and all that, has it been talked about before in other, other, uh, ufological circles? Like, is it, is it a known, uh, kind of X files, X files, a UFO desk or something? Well, I, you know, I kind of have a feeling it was, uh, you know, kept pretty hush hush. However, um, I had mentioned it, you know, like at least 10 years ago, we were at a conference in Laughlin, Nevada, mm-hmm. and we were just pulling into Laughlin one night, staying at a hotel. And I was remember checking in, and there was a lady holding a pamphlet, and this pamphlet had a picture of a gray alien, which struck a bell with me. And I said, uh, "Wow, what are you doing with that?" And all that flyer. And she goes, "Well, there's a UFO conference here tonight." And I looked at my wife, and what? I said, uh, "Meg, are you interested in uh, UFOs? There's a conference going on here." And and she goes, "Oh yeah, I'd love to hear about that." And, when is it? And she said, well, it's tonight it starts. And the first speaker is, mm. is, um, uh, oh, Jim Mars. Okay. Yeah. I, of course, at that time, I didn't know any of the researchers. Now I find out he's one of the more yeah. well-known. Yes. Yeah. And I was at a, you know, we were sitting about the third row back on the left side during this whole thing. And I was just flabbergasted because he was talking about Roswell, like it was some sort of super secret. And I'm going, but I've been in there, and I know that it, that it, there shouldn't be a controversy that happened. I mm. saw the files, yeah, yeah, and I thought more people knew or assumed so, mm. and that she was just holding, you know, the original documents uh, of this catch. And then I find out later that, you know, they they did in the beginning have a lot of uh, leaked information, okay, and and then all of a sudden the story changes. And they're saying it was a weather balloon that crashed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, of course, a lot of controversy behind the fact that a weather balloon couldn't have possibly made that big of a impact. They wouldn't have needed a you know, 20 or 30 cleanup uh, Crew, jets yeah, and, yeah. or yeah. Um, what do they call those, jeeps, I mean, to come out to the test. Yeah, and later they changed it from a weather balloon to a mogul balloon, you know, as a part of a then secret program to try to spy these soviets in case they were starting to uh, test nuclear weapons yeah so so then i uh went up to the promoter not jim mars but after and the fellow's name was bob brown who was putting it on mm-hmm. 
And I told him, Bob, I said, you know, I was, I was listening to that. I thought it was really interesting about the controversy of whether or not Roswell happened because uh, my aunt used to work there and I was in there once and saw uh, pictures and I saw all his memos from the, the Roswell crash. And he said, where was this? And I said, it was at McClellan Air Force Base. And he said, well, who is this lady? And I told her, told him the name. And he said, well, is she still living? And I said, yes. Mm-hmm. She's retired, of course. Um, but he said, well, you think she would be willing to, you know, have an interview? And I said, well, you know, I could call her. Mm. Uh, so when I got home from that conference, I'd called my uh, cousin and he said that, uh, boy, I don't know if mom would say anything about that, but I'll, I'll give her a call. <laughs> he called me back like the next day and said, no, mom is, uh, not going to talk about that. But what was funny about that whole thing is when I first said, you know, that uh, your mother worked at the UFO Records Library and I was in there once and I saw these files. He goes, what? Hmm. He, the younger son had known all about it, but the older son had never been told that that's what she did. Wow. He just knew it was super secretive. Right, right. And he Hmm. just assumed that he was a policeman. You know, uh, you can't talk about it, so she won't. And he never pressed her for the information he said. So, so has anybody else sort of collaborated this, um, uh, McLaughlin, uh, McClellan, McClellan, <laughs> McLaughlin. <laughs> McClellan Air, Air Force Base, uh, tie in at all or, well, you know, not that I'm aware of, um, I know that I was there. I know that my ex-wife, at the, she's my ex-wife now, but at yeah. the time she knew we were going there mm. and I didn't talk too much to her about it. Mm-hmm. And. But I had asked her, you know, a few years back before I did the story, I said, do you remember that incident? She said, well, I remember you went to the Air Force Base. Um, I don't remember too much about what you said other than she worked in UFO records, so she knew. Um, and then uh, Brian, who deceased right after uh, she did, actually hung himself. And, um, you know, he knew about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he had a, she had another daughter in the Bay Area. I haven't talked to her about it. I, you know, it's something I was thinking about. Someday I could maybe get a witness testimony and see mm-hmm. if she's what mm-hmm. she remembers. Mm-hmm. However, you know, the one son is still living. I thought it was really interesting. Um, we were at his place one time, and he had his just house packed full of UFO books. Mm. Ah, that he was so interested in the subject, and yet. Uh, but he had books on uh, flying crafts and military. And he said, well, he said, mom got me kind of interested in flying things when she's worked at the Air Force Base. Uh-huh. So, you know, he's been studying that, UFOs and everything for years. And so he handed me a book, uh, Timothy Goodman. Uh, <laughs> about, yeah. about Top about Secrets. Top secret. yeah. yeah, that's the one. And uh, he said, here, take this home and read it. So I remember taking that book home uh, and reading it. Yeah, I remember Timothy Good book from back in the early '90s when I was into this. <laughs> yeah, that was the book that uh, got Richard Dolan interested in this. Yeah, whole a- Alien Liaison was the one I mm. one I had. But okay. uh, so, so have you talked to like Don? Is Don Schmidt the Roswell guy and uh, yeah. Stanton Friedman yeah. and those guys? Yeah. Have you talked to those guys? Because Don came out with a, a book recently, didn't he? Did you talk to him at all? Yeah, um, at the last uh, contact in the desert, Don and I uh, got together with Melinda Lisley. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a long yeah. story here. Melinda had a picture that she wanted me to verify she believed of the uh, 
uh, one of the images that I saw. Mm. And when I went into her office and she put it up on the screen, I said, that is the little boy trailer I saw. And wow. Mm. That was the picture. Wow. Interesting. So, that must have brought back some memories. Right? Yeah. And, it, and uh, so she wanted me to call uh, and, and interview some different UFO researchers and, and tell them about that photo. Well, Stanton Friedman was the first one that called me. Mm-hmm. And so we had a long conversation. I think we spent a couple hours on the phone talking about but. He had information. I told him about the autopsy report, about the wafers and all this other stuff. And he said, I've known about this stuff, David, but um, he said, I was never, you know, I never put anything in my books Mm. because, um, you know, he couldn't substantiate it. And he's not the kind of researcher that would print something based on uh, hearsay hearsay or anything, but he highly believed that 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 was highly possible, what I was telling him. Um, And then he called Melinda Leslie and told her that um, I, I believe him 100%. Um, so then I got in touch with an aviation uh, UFO uh, researcher who does history of aircrafts and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the most comprehensive interviews I'd ever been put through. Um, and Melinda told me, if you can pass his screening, his test, uh, you know, then you know, the rest of the UFO world will believe you. Right, right, right. And I said, well, it's not about, you know, I'm not here to prove a point or anything. Yeah, yeah. It's just, just what I saw. But anyway, uh, I spent a long time uh, with that researcher, and he put me through a barrage of questions. What color were the rubber bands? How flexible were they? Um, what, what was stamped on the documents? Was it in red ink? Was it in black? When, when the whole uh, interview was over, he called Melinda Leslie, and he said, I believe uh, I got to believe him 99% mm. accuracy. Wow. And uh, who was that again? Stanton Friedman. Right? Uh, not Stanton Friedman. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. This is a different one. Oh. The name escapes me all of a sudden, but mm. uh, he's out from the Chicago area and he does oh. a tremendous amount of uh, UFO research mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Now, the next one that uh, I met was then Don Schmidt, and I you know, okay. went into some details with him at Contact in the Desert this mm-hmm. last time. And Melinda brought the picture of the low boy trailer that we that I validated, mm-hmm. and so you know now he's got a little bit more information. And I haven't talked to Casey, uh, his partner, mm-hmm. but um, you know it, it's still kind of fresh. But what Don Schmidt wanted me to do, is he said, you know, I I bought a copy of his book. He said, "Have you read it?" I said, "No." I said, don't read it. I don't want to taint the information. Oh, yeah. But I yeah, want yeah. you to do more hypnotic uh, regression. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're going to be doing some more of that. I've done several sessions that are all documented. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another researcher, uh, attorney, Daniel Sheehan, flew out to meet me in Minnesota. And, you know, he said, you know, I want you to come forward with this, with this information. And if you do need an attorney to represent you, you know, here's my card, I'll represent you for free, blah, 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 he, because he wanted me to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I found out he was one of the lead investigators on Watergate mm. um, and uh, a few other giant cases. So, yeah. uh, this, this guy is an amazing attorney. Um, so it, uh, Daniel Sheehan had said that when you do your next one, I want to be present at so I can validate. But I, he, he had a lot of questions he put me through as well. Um, and when you talk to an attorney, then you get more of a, what they call it a, well, it's a sworn testimony. Yeah. Affidavit or something. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so tell me something, when you uh, finish with the hypnotic reg regression therapies, um, are you planning to then write a book about this? Uh, well, experiences? yeah, I will. I'll, uh, I'll publish what I remember and what, what is in the hypnotic mm -hmm. uh, regression tapes. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, at that point, then I, I think more people understand that what mm -hmm. I saw was, uh, was, I don't know, it was just information that I saw and I assume it was the actual valid information. Now, you'd asked me the question earlier, mm -hmm. was there any chance that this was like a spy op setup? Mm -hmm. I really don't think so because, uh, you know, I, I just think it was, it seemed too serious and she was doing too good of a job. And mm -hmm. I just don't know if it was psyops that they would go to that length of having a woman work for 18 years. Especially for, for you, you didn't have a, a valid interest in it yeah. or anything like that. Like, what would be the purpose of showing yeah. you all that, really? No, they would have put somebody in there who... Definitely, yeah. um, you know, a Linda Moulton Howe type or something. That right. seems like something that would happen to her. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you think that these these files in this secret room have been like moved to another base since then? I wonder. Well, the base is closed. I don't know what year exactly. Oh, mm. I wonder. Yeah. Because I mean, obviously that's still somewhere, right? I mean. Yeah, but in there they talk a lot about uh, uh, Ray Patterson. Uh, you know. Uh, some of the older files just said right field. Mm. And I was talking to uh, Stanton Friedman about that, and he said, well, originally, that's what they used to call it, was right field, and they didn't have yeah. Patterson on there. Mm. So I guess that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Red, what do you think uh, about all this then? Well, like I told David, you know, the first time I saw that video, I was totally honest with him, you know. I wrote a comment and I said that I was kind of skeptical about it because it seemed to come up with information that is being creeping up in the UFO mythos yeah, uh, again yeah. and again. For yeah, example, yeah. that these beings allegedly come from the planet Ceta Reticuli and I. But now that I have had the chance and the opportunity to talk with him, I realize that he's being totally honest. He's not here seeking... Uh, publicity or any form of uh, personal gain, you know, he doesn't really care if you believe him or not. So then I also think, okay, so these files were authentic, maybe were, they were authentic, but you also think that uh, all the information that is being uh, telepathic, telepathically uh, transmitted to, to this military officer how do we substantiate the validity of that information? You know, so maybe the deception doesn't comes doesn't come from the military. Maybe the deception comes from the entities themselves for reasons we just haven't ascertained yet. Maybe that's part of their programming, right? Yeah, maybe that's part of the programming. You know, maybe there's a reason why they they don't they come clean on us and, and they feed us things. Uh, they feed us with truth and then they see a little bit of untruth in order to invalidate the whole the whole story. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, interesting. So I wanted to ask you, David, you know, you told us that for uh, for a long time you didn't give it a second thought about all the things that you saw uh, back in those files. But I'm sure that by after you went to that conference in Nevada and just after you started to take an interest in the subject and then after you realized just how potentially, potentially uh, impactful all the things that you saw in that day you know could be you know to unleash what could be 
uh, very well be, you know, the most important story in, in the history of humanity. I would like to know uh, how does, has this changed your perspective about life, your, uh, your life itself, you know, uh, has it uh, shifted your interest in other topics, the way you look at the world, at, at, at the universe and, and everything? And, and just before you answer that, David, uh, we're we're in the vendor room here. And it's getting a bit noisy in the background. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of people in here. We're about to see Graham Hancock yeah. uh, speak. So that's starting in about five minutes. So okay. we'll, we'll wrap it up after your answer there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I guess, you know, I got to say that it changed uh, my perspective on the belief mm-hmm. um, that uh, aliens exist, especially the gray alien type. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was another file that talked about uh, some other types of aliens as well. But Mm. Uh, the other thing that uh, I, I thought was interesting, um, since I was 17 years old, I had this near-death experience, and I found out the universe isn't exactly what you know we've been told, that it was uh, something else and something a little bit than maybe perhaps my religion mm-hmm. had taught me. And that's the topic of the book that you are now publishing, Yeah, right? in, the, in the book, yeah, it's called Messages from the Spirit World. But see, since the time that I had that, I really didn't want to come back to Earth, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had agreed if I could have a good, strong connection to the spirit world mm. and relay truth about the universe back to humanity, that would be useful to come back. Wow, wow. So, I mean, we talk about that on the show all the time, and NDEs is such a big topic yeah. right now. Maybe I mean, you guys need to read the book and then have yeah. David uh, yeah, I again feel, as a guest. I feel bad. I started off the <laughs> just chat to, with your book, and then we just, you know, went on this other uh, tangent the whole time. But, yeah, the messages from the spirit world awakening to your soul it's right up our alley so we'll have to get you back on and talk about this and i think you're writing a couple more to go with that now yeah. uh, the next book um you know it will be on some of the same subject but in probably greater depth about the universe um and then i'm also doing one about the angelic realm that I'm co-authoring with another person okay cool and uh, right. so there's a lot of uh you know information i think the biggest awareness was not Roswell for me, but the fact that I had a near-death experience. Okay. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And how different uh, the world really was. Right on. Right. Wow. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. And and uh, you, you also mentioned you've been speaking around uh, around uh, North America a little bit, too. So we'll link to your all your information in our show notes here. And, uh, yeah, we'll have you back on sometime. All right. Well, it's a pleasure meeting you guys and being yeah. on your show. Yeah, Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yep. All right. <laughs>